manadeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to face2facegames.com. So I thought Mike was pulling up some sort of feed thing about our RSS feed or whatever, but instead you were looking at somebody holding some sort of wrestling foundation belt. Oh, that's Becky Lynch. Okay. It's the man, Becky Lynch. Okay, okay. I follow some wrestlers. That's Alexa Bliss. That's Neil Patrick Harris. He's not a wrestler. Yeah. Do you, uh, did you watch Fighting With My Family? I've watched Fighting With My Family in the theater. What do you take me for? Did you cry? Yes or no? No. I cried. I might have cried. <laughs> I watched it uh, on a flight home. And, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm just in an emotionally vulnerable state when I'm on airplanes. But uh, I definitely cried. So that movie doesn't even tell, like, 66% of Paige's story. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. So Paige... I mean, you have to sort of, you have to edit, right, when you're making a movie. No, no, Especially I mean, about something, you know, very tr- true. You I have to definitely be very selective. Significant events actually happened after that. So I think that ends when... Page wins the uh, women's title. The diva, right? t- the diva title, yeah. Uh, over AJ Lee, who it's funny. Zelina Vega just played AJ Lee in the movie. I don't, none of this matters. I'm not a big. I'm not a wrestling guy. So AJ Lee is married to uh, CM Punk in real life, and CM Punk had a very public uh, separation from the WWE a few years ago. He was like the, one of the longest reigning champions, but they had a very public separation as a result of medical negligence. And uh, so they didn't even get her to play herself in the movie. They got a different professional wrestler yeah. to, to play her in the movie. Anyway, um, yeah, so Paige was, she was uh, an unfortunate victim of, uh, I, I don't know what you want to call it, like sex tape leaking from her from her phone. Oh, really? Yeah, like a, very, very public uh, a few years ago. Uh, and so that was actually what, unfortunately, a lot of people know her for. Wow. Um, and she came back from an injury a year or two ago, and then she was basically, like, permanently injured in, in a match. Oh, Jesus. Just a house match, like, not even, like, on TV. Um, and so she's, she kind of has, like, an on-air kind of holding a mic role now. Yeah. Um, so, like, they still found something to do, but that not wrestling, you know, so, um... Yeah, but that's it's it's sad ultimately. I yeah. think that that story. That and is th- pretty sad. I think a lot of wrestlers end up with sad stories. Yeah. Well, let's let's not talk about wrestlers because there's plenty of magic sad stories to talk about. Um, I you, actually, and I, you and I were talking last week. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I would say borderline argument. I don't. It wasn't an argument. I mean, I think that two people can approach. Do we even introduce anything? No. I'm Michael J. Flores. This is Brian David Marshall. We're actually on the uh, the classic corner of Waverly and Gay, which is why there's cars. Yeah, it's a beautiful day out. Yeah, it's a lovely day out. So which we're is why Mike was Joe. late because he decided to walk from New Jersey. Um, sure, we'll we'll go with that narrative. Um, but anyway, we're at Waverly and Gay. We're talking about magic and other sport. You know, magic is a sport now. It's a, sure, it's an e-sport. So we were talking about wrestling, and so now we're talking about something else. You and I had. I don't think it was. I don't think it was. We weren't fighting. I think like two people can approach something from different sides, but if it makes you happy, <laughs> you can pretend we fought. I was on the other side of an argument, and you brought me around. Does that okay. make you happy? Oh, that does make me happy. Okay, so it is uh, six eighteen uh, on the eleventh of June, 
2019. Write that down, Canadian listeners. Oh, I wrote it down. I have it on. I have a recording of it. There is a recording of Mike saying that Brian brought him around on an argument. I would like to talk about Canada in a little bit. If we okay, can. we will. We we certainly will. But uh, so uh, we were, we were talking about. Uh, it's kind of like almost like we've moved on. The outrage train has moved on. I mean, we're going to be talking about old news here. Sure. But this is the the GoFundMe situation yeah. where a number of players uh, who were qualified for not even some cases for their first M- uh, MC Mythic Championship, but a lot of players who were qualified for their first were doing various forms of GoFundMe's to sort of maybe monetize whatever brand they had or to just sort of shine some light on their story and their difficult situation in terms of getting to their first Mythic Championship. And there were varying levels of support and or outrage hmm. for these for these GoFundMe's. Right? Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, so I think that I think that there's some I don't know if it's just a level of entitlement coming from certain segments of the you know, the Twitterverse or like the social media population where some folks were saying I guess it's okay for a kid from Brazil right. to ask for money on a GoFundMe, but it's not okay for Person X. And I'd say that Person X, generally speaking, uh, is an adult male uh, who seems to be gainfully employed as an adult. And who has made, made his way to multiple Pro Tours and or Mythic Championships in the past. Yeah, and in some cases... Well, the one thing that I didn't understand at all was like... If that guy plays a foil thoughtsies against you at like the modern weekly the next week after opening a GoFundMe, he's somehow a villain. Right. I didn't get that. Right. Well, that was that was. So it seemed to me that there was this popular sentiment, especially from players who had been in hard times when they were earlier in their career, in a similar situation, generally before such things as Twitter or GoFundMe or any kind of like social media awareness existed. Uh, when they qualified for their first pro tour, may have found themselves in a position where they had to sell magic cards to get to that event, or had to skip an event because they couldn't afford to go. And this seems to have, you know, kicked off for for a segment of the magic population this idea like, well, how dare they? And uh, you know, my take was, you know, like, look, I, I posted. I, I don't even. You know, I was just on the bus going into the city to go to work. and You, you posted a heartfelt, like, a, a maybe thread, like, five tweet long thread, which I, I did, I took no issue with. Yeah. I just, just wanted like, to dunk on you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't really want to dunk on anybody. Yeah, it was just kind of like, look, just no one should be told to sell their cards to go. Um, the idea that, like, the, these events are this, like, I mean, it's a once in a lifetime thing for most people who qualify for a pro tour. Uh, I would say very, very few of them ever qualify again. I don't think they stop trying. <laughs> I just don't think they do. The stars I think to, just don't align. I think to anymore. get to a pro tour twice is very difficult. And oftentimes, it consumes all of your candle just to get there the first time. You one, know what I mean? One of the things that I found real meaningful is you talked about a friend of yours who, uh, who had died, and it was meaningful for him that he had just made it to just had the opportunity to make it to the pro tour i'll just gonna wait out here on his on the merits of his own deck design right yeah i was it was it was actually pat donovan who qualified for an extended pro tour playing secret force uh beating michelle bush in the finals of the ptq i was at that (laughs) um 
it was at a point where everybody was playing tricks, right? Everyone was playing the Illusions Donate deck. And he was like, well, I'm not going to play. I don't want to play that deck. I want to play my, my big green fatties deck. I played Tinker in that. Yeah. And he uh, decided to put, what was, the, what was the elf that you could sacrifice to kill an enchantment? Elvish Lyrist. Elvish Lyrist. And he put Elvish Lyrist in some number in his main deck and sideboard and uh, was able to... Uh, and the, the tricks players, I guess, just didn't know how to navigate an Elvish Lyrist that week. <laughs> I mean, the thing, it's, it's funny. I mean, it's just so funny in hindsight, right? Yeah. Like, um, like the different ways that people tried to convince themselves they could beat tricks. And most of the time it was just like the tricks players just didn't know how to yeah. cope. So I beat an Illusions Donate deck at Pro Tour Chicago, which was before tricks even came out, right? I was just like, uh, okay, I'm just gonna like consult for Ebony Charm and gain two life. Right. I just gained two life. And he force a willed the yeah. hell out of my Ebony Charm. So he didn't know how to beat somebody at 22 life, right? right. You know? So. I thought it was, it's funny, like, oh my god, I can't beat an Elvish Of course you can beat an Elvish Lyrist. You just have to set up the game right. to be able to beat an Elvish Lyrist. The problem is, the, is the players were, it's fun. I guess Pat was just better prepared than they were mentally, right? He's <laughs> just like, all right, I'm going to present the unbeatable threat. It was A 1-1 one, one for 1 that doesn't have haste. It was definitely his weekend. Um, I mean, he qualified for a handful of other Pro Tours throughout his career but that that one was especially meaningful for him and I know was um, I actually I, you know his I, 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 by all accounts got along great with his dad but he and his dad his dad never understood his interest in magic didn't you know never registered for him yeah, and I joined the club yeah. and I um, I remember speaking to his dad at the funeral actually and sort of like I knew his dad played golf oh and basically explained to him that his son got to play on the you know, in intellectual equivalent of the PGA, you know, and he was like, oh, crap. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Dutch and I have had conversations about this over the years many times. Dutch being... What's up, Dutch? Are you just... Oh, we're not going to mention him by actual name. We're just two... Only, like, the five cool people who know. I think if we're talking about golf, he's Dutch. Okay. Oh, okay. Do you think, do you think that's fair? I think that's fair. We'll okay. just call him Dutch. We won't even... I think... I mean, Dutch knows who Dutch is. <laughs> The rest and, of the listeners know who, would all know who he is. But yes, regular <laughs> listeners definitely know but who But they Dutch don't is. know who he is. I mean, how quick will Grouse House <laughs> respond to this one? Um, yeah, so Dutch and I have talked about this one. I'm like, yo, what are you doing here? He's like, oh, I got my annual golfing thing, right? I'm like, well, you don't have any annual magic thing. <laughs> you know? At this point, he might. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so one of the things that you brought around to me was, I mean, it was... It just actually harkens back to a conversation you and I had had only, I think, a few weeks ago. and But it's actually a refrain of a conversation that we've been having for 20 years. Sure. Um, where I think, like, my wife and my wife, Catherine, uh, the co-host of the Such a Crock podcast, and I were talking about... She, like, I think she said she made, like, some loose claim, which may or may not actually be true, which is that you're her... You are her favorite of my friends if oh. that if uh if that but she is my favorite of your wives yeah um uh and that's not might not even be true like last week she was like oh are you gonna call becker and do something like this and i was like oh it didn't occur to me i probably should i didn't by the way it was very late notice but um uh but uh you know and, and the reason uh, we, we had come up with was that you had developed empathy technology <laughs> decades before anyone else i knew right so 
And the, this, the case that you made about the GoFundMes was so empathetic to me. And I was just like, there was a time in my life I wouldn't even have understood this line of argumentation. Uh, but I under, at least understand it now. Uh, and what you had said to me was just like, look, who, who am I actually advertising to? Right. right? If, you put up, if you put up a GoFundMe to go to the Pro Tour, a, a lot of people seem to be very insulted. Like, why are you asking me for money for you to go to your first Pro Tour? I had to sell my cards, right? Yeah. And to me, like, this person was definitely, I mean, I'll call him out here, Chris Massioli was the person who was pretty outraged by this. It was about uh, a particular person. It was about a particular person. Not about person. everybody but, with GoFundMe. But, but in general, I mean, he was like, look, I had to pay to go to my events, and I think it's kind of gross that people are doing these GoFundMes. And, and, and other, you know, p- people have, but the reality is I'm not asking, if I put this up because I'm, I really want to go to my first pro tour, I'm not asking Chris Massioli for money. I'm not putting it up to, to reach nice him. It's nice that if it reaches him, he could give you money. Correct. But that's not the target audience. Right. I am letting my aunts and my uncles and my college friends and my coworkers and my extended network of people that generally have said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm there for you if you need me <laughs> at some point or another to be there for you if you need them. And you don't have to go ask them. You don't have to put someone in an awkward position to say no. If someone's in a position to say they can help you, they can help you. Yes, it's great if it goes viral and somehow other people get on board with it, but you're not actually expecting or asking anyone you don't know for money, right? Like, And the thing is like, this is one of those things where you don't have to ask them, they could just see it, right? You don't have to have potentially a difficult conversation around yeah. something. But if they want to contribute, and they're a person who's actually in your intimate network, they can. And one of the reasons that this penetrated me is because I actually contributed to, like, I used to joke. It's like, it's a joke. Like, I I, uh, contributed to, like, a family member's uh, African summer vacation, right? That's nice. Well, it wasn't really a summer vacation. She was in a, a kind of a public health degree program. And in order to graduate, she had to, like, go to, like, Tasmania or Botswana, like some some country that had, I guess was in dire need of public health education, you know, kind of things. And she had to raise money in order to go to the trip. And not only... Not as important as going to play in your first Mythic yeah. Championship, but so, so pretty important. Not only did I contribute, but I spitefully, spitefully contributed one more dollar than my sister did. <laughs> so I waited for her to, like, put in her money. So I put, like, $301 in, right? And, like... So she like texts me immediately. She's like three hundred one dollars, and I'm like, I'm like, I waited for you, <laughs> like, like wink, you know. I mean, her. I mean, but actually, you know, the scuttlebutt in our family was like, why are we even doing this? Like, she has rich parents, you know. It's, it's like behavior it's, like this that allows Steve Satan to succeed in his job. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Free to play games. <laughs> Anyway, I was just like, yeah. So that's the thing I actually did, right? Yeah. So I, I sent a family member on an African vacation for I I, sc- I screwed up on my way out to Roanoke this weekend. So I was in Roanoke for the Star City Game Convention. Oh, so you are so many trips back. So you're back from your loading ready run commander thing, and you're right. now back from SCG Con. Yes. You are. And I was I away the week you, before that when I was away with Z. I thought you gave up on this traveling magic hobo lifestyle. I did. I did. I gave up, like... You just gave up the money and the title? I gave up the money and the title, <laughs> exactly. Wow, are well, I mean, you I dumb? Well, I didn't quit magic, right? Like, I but still... You apparently didn't quit traveling to go to magic events every weekend. I, well, I mean, this... I'm, I have nothing scheduled. Oh, for this weekend? For, for, for a while. Yeah. 
I might have I might have something coming up at the end of the year, but we'll see. Um, <laughs> your, your your track record of the last three weeks or so yeah. is not a solid one yeah. on this. No, no. But so we went, and I was at the Brian David Marshall, most empathetic, least intelligent. <laughs> oh yeah, that is true. Oh, wait till you see the SCG trivia show. You'll see how least intelligent I am. <laughs> Literal least intelligent. On All right, I'll, I'll stop interrupting your story. So, uh, so we're in DC, and we, um, they need 14 people to get off the flight from DC to Roanoke. Oh. They're like, we need, yeah, we need 14 people to get off, and we're offering a $750 voucher for you to get on a bus from DC to Roanoke. So it's like five o'clock in the afternoon. It's like prime time DC traffic. So they're saying it's a four hour ride. It's probably like not. A six hour ride. Yeah. But, and I'm there with a bunch of other Magic players. And we all realized, oh, just too late, like people actually snapped up these, these vouchers. Uh, and we realized just too late that we could have taken the vouchers and then you actually could just use those for people who are doing GoFundMes for travel and stuff. Right, like it's like not, you know, it's a pretty cheap way to do it, right? Like, you just like reach out to that person and say, "Here, I'll sign over this travel voucher to you, or I'll buy, uh, you know, I'll contribute this to your, your towards your ticket." Oh wow, I would have snapped up the seven hundred fifty dollars and put it in my pocket. I mean, you could do that too. I, I I went to dinner with my family on Sunday night, and my daughter, I don't know what was going on. My daughter says that there were two girls in the bathroom stall of the restaurant, like giggling in the bathroom stall together. They leave. She chased after them because they left 160 bucks in the bathroom stall. And I was just like, oh, honey, I have not taught you well. <laughs> that 160 bucks should be in your pocket right now, and you should not have mentioned it to me. Right? Because now I'm going to take that money. I'm going to go chase after them and make no, no. sure they get it. Well, she gave it to the girls, <laughs> oh, oh, right? So, um, no, nah, I would have. You know. Well, that's what I'm saying. You're like, I'll give it to them. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you Jason Gordon the money right out of your daughter's And she's pocket. just like, she's just like, I'm like, how do you even know it was them? Because it's just because they were the last people. I mean, two girls in the bathroom all together. I'm like, how do you know it was their money? And she's right. like, ah, they were talking about going to the mall. And I was just like, all right. Anyway, I would have kept the money. Sure. Maybe I would. My wife makes fun of me. She's just like, if I have like a, a cashier error in my favor at like, you know, a local shop, I'll, I'll correct it for them. Yeah, so I, I was in a bookstore recently and uh, used bookstore and I was looking for books. And I find a book that I already own. But I, I kind of like, I'll upgrade copies of books I own. And like Steve Saden will collect a lot of the same books I collect. And I'll, I'll like pass on a copy of the book. And I see a copy of this book, uh, which is um, Slayground by Richard Parker. This is one of the Don Westlake books. It's a seminal book for me in terms of hard-boiled crime. It's, it's insane. Is it a Parker book? It's a Parker book, yeah. Where he, it's, it's him being chased in a abandoned uh, amusement park. Slayground. Hence Slayground. Yeah. And so there's, and I look at the book on the shelf and it's got, got a price and it says second printing. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Because I know, I'm like, you know, like you, you have all this arcane knowledge about things you love. I happen to know that Random House first printings are usually mistaken for second printings. Because on the, on the Indicia page, they go 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. But then instead of one, which is what most first printings yeah. have, they write the word first printing under it. And uh, I'm like, this is actually a first printing. And I'm like, this is a really good price. Right? So you what's know, it worth? I, it, it could be worth 
anywhere up to like three or four hundred dollars. And but they were selling it for they were selling it for like fifty bucks. So you snap it up. So I went to the counter. I had a couple other books I was buying. I said, "Listen, I could, I will buy this book, probably no matter what, but you have it mispriced." I was like, "You, you, it's." And I show the clerk how to identify a Random House first edition from that era, and uh, she didn't care. And she's like, "Eh, just buy the book." It's not her store. I guess. I don't know. It's not her store. She just, like, didn't feel, you know, maybe she felt like we bought the book based on thinking it was a second printing, and therefore our markup is like it's a second print, whatever. But, I mean, I tried. Um, When I moved, like, two apartments, it's like the same building I've been in my apartment. Um, Yeah, Catherine just didn't want to move my comics collection, so she just donated it to a used bookstore. What? Yeah. I would have just taken it. All my long boxes. I would have just taken it. There are a lot of valuable comics. In this I book. would have just taken it. She said, "Here are your miracle mans, minus the one that Clark ate when he was like." <laughs> oh my god! I would have just taken that. Well, that wasn't. I that would was... just put it in my storage space for you. Uh, well, instead, she's like, "Some other kids will read these for, I guess, a dollar a piece." I mean, like, it's like this, like this is like a dumb comment, right? But like, I had multiple copies of like. Kevin Smith's Green Arrow number one. Yeah. Which are like, that's not an old comic, it's like 2000 or whatever. Yeah. That's like wildly expensive. Is it comic. really? Yeah, for for a comic that was printed in the last 20 years. Yeah. Like, right? So yeah. that's well past any boom times. Right. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's like, you know, 10x it's cover value. Oh, okay, okay. Not, not crazy. Not like $1,000. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I, most of my really valuable comics, like, I think I have multiple copies of the first appearance of Deadpool, for example. Ooh. They're in Cleveland. Probably yeah. destroyed by water damage. I was just going to say water damage or yeah. things that rose above the water level. And we're Probably. Like, oh, let me chew into this box. Yeah, I haven't I haven't been there in a right. while. So. Uh, With all my original like snow-covered mountains or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I, when I moved to New York, I didn't think I would have any need for snow-covered mountains. No? It was like 1999. You're excited about the snow now? Oh, uh, well. You see the result Hogak put up this week? Uh, is it all the winds? It was like all the winds. So they're, they're going to ban Bridge from the Lower. So why don't we describe what's going on here? Uh, I, I tweeted a picture. Did you really? Turn. Yeah. So I'll just uh, I'll pull up this. Uh, uh, I'm sure it's a retweet of whatever I just put up. It's the, here. Uh, this is from a player called Tom White, and his caption is, This is game one on my turn one. Game one on turn one, Tom White is a dick, and he's got a stony silence in his opening hand, right? <laughs> Which should tell you something <laughs> about <laughs> about how the format is gone, okay? So, game one, I'm not a nice yeah. person. Good guy Tom White. Yeah. Uh, but clearly he is an asshole going second, right? <laughs> has got... Dangerous place to be. Yeah. He has a stony silence in his hand. I'm sorry, rest, rest in peace, not a yeah, sense. Yeah. Uh, actually, both are good, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he has the rest in peace. But the format has degenerated that quickly yeah. that it's main deck rest in But his, 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 uh, his, his permanents are a tapped, hallowed fountain. Okay. His opponent has, like, lethal in play, right? So his opponent's board, his this opponent is, has his gone turn, turn two, has got a blood crypt and a swamp tapped, and his duders are a vengevine tapped, a carrion feeder with two counters. Uh, a grave crawler with apparently new art, and a hogak. Uh, this guy, this eight eight uh, yeah. for seven that you can't cast, right. except from convoking, right? Right. Yeah, you can't pay mana for it. Uh, are in play. 
and uh, his graveyard is a hangerback walker, a citrus supplier, and a polluted delta. So he'd even get a good this draw. This isn't even a good draw. This isn't even a good draw. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's how it, so explain to me, well, how did this come about, Brian? Well, one of the new cards in Modern Masters is- Hogak. Uh, Hog what's Hogak's full name? Hogak Arisen or something? Yeah, something. So everybody knows who Hogak is. Yeah. Wait a second, I'll look it up on my other phone. So, so the, this this deck, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, you're just getting a, as many cards into play as possible. Uh, you know, you're casting Carrion Feeder, you're ca casting Stitcher's Apprentice, maybe some uh, Hograk Arisen Necropolis. Arisen Necropolis, that's it. You know, some uh, what you call Blood Ghasts, some Bridge from Belows. You then uh, just convoke your your Hogak out of your yard. So, uh. Yeah, you delve. So, Hogak. Hogak, uh, the. Yeah, we don't the, see the guy's exile pile, so he's probably. Oh, he has an exile pile. Yeah, yeah, this Oh, we don't How see. How many cards it. are in his exile Only zone, four. There might Only be four. something going on yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never mind. All right, so Hogak is a Necropolis is a five Golgari Golgari for an 8 8 legendary creature, Awatar. You can't spend mana to cast a spell. It has Convoke and Delve, right? So. With Delve, shit. <laughs> it can yeah. be as cheap as BB. Right. Or GG. Yep. And you may cast Hogak Arisen Necropolis from your graveyard. He has Trample. So here's the thing about Hogak Arisen Necropolis. Uh, if you've got like eight guys, or seven guys, sorry, seven guys, you can just convoke him out. Right. Right? Because you can't you can't pay mana for him anyway. Right. right? So, so like uh, an archetype, ex an example of this deck might be... Uh, might be... Who sent you this? Shape and comma, Patrick. Make sure I know what the hell I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> like, make sure you read this. <laughs> like, Blood Gas, Carrion Feeder. So Carrion Feeder, Gravecrawler, these guys can, you know, they're they're very synergistic with stuff from the graveyard. Insolent Neonate, who's like, it's like a kind of a real terrible uh, faithless looting that's also a, a trigger-happy daddy for... Revenge Vine, Sister Supplier, and Revenge Vine. So Sister Supplier is putting something in the graveyard for you. Potentially fuel for Hogak. And the only spell in the deck is Faithless Looting. Oh, I guess you've got like Necrotic Wound and Alter of Dementia. You have, you have Blood Gas in this version or no? There's Blood Gas in this version. Right. Hell yeah, there's Blood Gas in this version. Blood Gas is a pretty cheap way to get a body in play for yeah. all this. And so you just, you get it done. It's just... Yeah, the nonsense it, army. It, it so you you really think Bridge from Below will get banned? Well, by they they're not going to ban either of the cards that's brand new in their new set. Right, right. They're not. I mean, first of all, Alter all right, first, first was of all, a ludicrous printing. All right, first of all, yeah. <laughs> Alter. I mean, like whose idea was that? Like, oh wow, that we already know about the infinite combos this thing can do. Certainly, this card's never caused any trouble in the past. Eighteen years of printing new cheap, right? New cheap creature. Even engines, though Altar of Dementia is not a new card, it, it was, is new to modern. It was in twenty years ago. It was yeah. in, you know, you could third turn kill somebody with that and extend it. You know, could you second? Is you like? It's like a simple way to win is like just like Altar Shield Sphere Enduring Renewal, right? Right. Like, you know, turn two and... I don't know if, if you have, like, a Lotus, right? You, can, you know, like, second turn, Alter, third turn, uh, Lotus, Enduring Renewal, Shield Sphere, good game. Right. right. I wonder if there's anything stupid you can do in Modern with Enduring Renewal now. 
I'm sure there is. That's not not it's even. It's a legal. Near- it's a legal card. It was on the Time Spiral uh, promo, whatever that extra sheet was in Time Spiral of reprints. So the thing is, like, you need to have an, an engine piece for it. Right. They didn't have a Goblin Bombardment or an Altar previously. Yeah. They do now. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, I, I don't think that that's that ridiculous of a. Of a. Oh, actually, you probably engine. like a red white Goblin engine, like, like. I mean, it's, it's too many cards, but like you could just go off with fecundity goblins. But there's ornithopters and yeah. memnites. Yeah, like yeah. you don't you don't need to even go fancy. Yeah. Fair. Right. Like, how about you just spend all those slots being consistent? Yeah. So anyway. So, so alter dementia, you think is is the is the evil villain here, and we'll probably find other ways to be like, exploited. Hogak is a cute card. Right. Right. Like. Hogak, I think they were like, oh, this is a cute card. How many? I, I think that a lot of the stuff they did is just like, how many keywords can we cram onto a piece of cardboard? So, so interestingly, um, Ben and, Sec today, yeah. our friend Ben, um, impending dad, is uh, was tweeting about like cards he really loved from a like design standpoint. Yeah. In the set, and his number one was Hogak, but it was also, like, the card he found the most heinous for modern. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I just love this card, but I think it's obviously heinous. So it's kind of interesting to me. What's your favorite card from a, you know, not spikiness direction, just, like, a card you love? In this set? No, no, ever. <sighs> I mean, it's probably Gaia's Blessing. That's a good answer. I, I love that card. I, I uh... I mean, even less spiky, uh, my favorite card might be Whiteout. I don't even know what that is. Oh, yeah. Is that oh, an yeah. Ice Age card? It is. I think I... So so the weird thing about the card is the casting cost is largely irrelevant. I believe it's 1GG. Target creature loses flying. Uh, instant. But what's important about it is it has sack of snow... If this is in your graveyard, snack of... Sacrifice a Snowland and return Whiteout to your hand. So I used to play it in my Stormbind deck as a one-of. Oh. Because I could, I would win. You know those games where you're playing against Stormbind with Stormbind and you're both you, kind you of like. You build your own, uh, what's that 2-5 that they have now? Living Twister. Oh, yeah. You build yeah, your yeah. own Living Twister. Yeah, yeah. You basically get to just put a card back in your hand at the cost of a land in play. So I always love that card with all sorts of weird you know, in the days before you could have a squee, that was always a cool way to um, get a card back from your graveyard, put it in your hand, and there were a lot of cool things you could do with that. It's funny to me that you say that, because I remember when Mike Ron at Bob's Chicago played his, like, just hard, Wait. lean hard into squee right. deck. You know, he didn't have, like, any of the, any of, like, the broken graveyard recursions. He wasn't playing tricks. Just leaned super hard into squee with Masticore and survival of the fittest and like he finished ninth in that pro tour but like if that deck was cool people could pick it up but like Mike Ron was like the only one who played it and then he just played it in the Grand Prix circuit until he qualified for the pro tour like it, is that weird like it, I don't, I don't like, remember his GoFundMe he didn't have, he just <laughs> was good enough at Magic I guess and so it wasn't qualified he, I got qualified requalified for the pro tour by it's actually just like I, I think it was only three squeeze also it's leaned into squeeze it's like squee massacre uh, survival of the fittest, and like you would th- like you would think, you know, 
like the world just wouldn't operate like that today. You know, like either people would be like, oh, this is like the optimal squee deck and we right. should all play it. So, or so like be like, oh, this is like such a suboptimal squee deck, right. everyone should play a different one. So you just pitch squee to survival of the fittest as a something that would come advantage. back as a source of card advantage. Uh, also, it let you upkeep the master core for free. Pretty much for free. So I imagine at some point you would squee for squee. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. So you could do both. So Atron was playing, like, three squeeze. I think, like, the most teched out black, green, or whatever multicolored Golgari survival of fittest decks had one squeeze. Maybe eventually they got to two, right? But, like, there's a... But they were, like, all Kravik and Horror because you could Kravik and Horror back then. Right. Kravik and Horror was a much higher utility card. But, like, the Madison guys, like, Adrian Sullivan was the first person to explain this to me, and Atron was from, from Madison. He's just, like, squeeze way more mana efficient. We didn't understand things like saving a mana a turn in like the mid game right, right. Like, we understood like getting saving a mana on turn one right but like the populace hadn't got to oh i can save a mana on turn 15 let alone save three mana on turn right. 20 you know especially especially in a deck that's doing a lot of like mechanically repeatable things yeah right? so where it becomes yeah just much more efficient but ob- to, obviously to get to a multiple of that to do it multiple obviously times. you you you're subject to people's hate in a right, different let's, way let's go back to hogak for a second okay oh, yeah. so 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 what do you think is going on here do you think that this deck is something that people need to be scared of going into mythic championship 3 or every, 4 or whatever it is every indication i've seen is that the deck is just like curve the, breaking right so but, but is that because this is the first deck that people were really aware of to come out of the new set, the first card, you know, that, and so people are just playing it, and it is better than the existing decks, and the existing decks, which are used to having some sort of checks and balances in for the other decks, just were not prepared for it yet? What I would say is... Or is the main deck, rest in peace, an indication that they already have adjusted, but it's still maybe faster than they're able to do What I would say is, if you look at, like, the Bridgevine-type decks, right? Bridgevine as, you know, maybe distinct from Hollow One, and certainly as distinct from Dredge. Yeah. Yeah. Those decks already were good enough in terms of doing some serious damage top 16, top 32 range at the Pro Tour. And let's call a spade a spade. The pros are not, you know, the best players in the world are not focusing on modern 75% of the year, right? So format could be evolving and like, great, pat yourself on the back on Microsoft Lattice, but we know this from Legacy. Like, we literally know this from Legacy. There was a, a quote, thriving Legacy community for 10 plus years who had their own events and they were super serious about Legacy. And the second you made that into a serious Grand Prix uh, format, their designs were extincted in one week, right? Like, you had stuff like the Flash Hulk decks come out, right? Right. Like, just didn't exist. Like, these counterbalance hybrid decks were coming out. And that people who didn't even understand how their Flash Hulk were decks winning, worked were winning Grand Prix. Were winning Grand Prix. And, Steve. and I mean, I hate to. I hate to be insulting, just like, all right, you have this insular community that's totally into this thing. Totally great. I love that you love playing Magic. I love that you guys are working on this. You kind of own this format for yourselves. But respect the fact that the best players in the world are not applying their efforts to this 75% of the time. Right. Okay? So on the 15, 25% of the time that they're spending on this, they are innovating new strategies. Bridgevine came out, I'm going to say two, pro, two modern big cycles ago, right? And... You know, it, it did some damage. It's distinct from some of these other decks in that 
if you don't have your hate card online on the proper turn, it's already too late, right? Because they get their money, and then you can get your hate card, and they've already got a board presence. Right. A substantial board presence that sometimes they invest some card economy, sometimes they don't, but they have so much power in play. By, by the way, you know, you talked about rest in peace, but Stony Silence would have also been good there. Not in that situation. That wasn't well, an alter situation. Alter, yeah, yeah, but yes, but it would have been good, theoretically. Yeah. All right, so we're in this spot. The deck is already fast, and, like, you're getting, like, a ton of power on turn two with, like, any kind of Avenge Vine draw already, right? right? That's already there. It's already part of the calculus. Um, now you're just grafting an infinite combo on it, right? And the problem is they say that Modern is a turn four format. Right? Right. Burn deck can win on turn three with a miracle draw. Right? Sure. There are some decks that can theoretically win on turn three. Right. But, like, you're really talking about it, uh, a format they've tried to slow down to turn four or slower. And the reality is kind of the powerhouse deck of the format prior to Modern Horizons centers around Karn, Mycos, and Plattis, which right. is, like, turn six. Okay. <laughs> right? But it's very powerful. Right. right? And so the decks that play it have other game plans, but really they're kind of one-way arm. But that deck just shuts off, right, it just shuts off your ability to make and produce mana, right? Like, yeah, so, well, and then great, they have like a, the, the Mycos and Flattis Karn combo is actually an Urnum and a Geddon together, right? Yeah. Because Karn can now make the Mycos and Flattis yeah. into a 6-6 six, six yeah. and kill you in three yeah. swings. Right, so, um, the, and the end run is, look, that the format's just gone in this direction, right? It's like, look, these guys are either slowing the game down with Thrag Tusks and Fogs or, you know, playing medium-sized creatures. Sometimes they get, like, a third-turn Worm Coil Engine. That's great also, right? So we have to we have to commerce at this speed. If you have this other deck coming in and say, like, hey, I can infinite combo kill you on turn two, the other guy even, couldn't even get Karn in play at that point, right? right. So probably can't infinite Karn, can't probably infinite combo kill you very reliably on turn two. No. But it it can mess you up, I bet, you know, and certainly generate an enormous amount of power inside of the turns before Karn even gets cast. Forget about Karn, Michael, and Um, uh, It's way, way faster. And the other thing is, like, I, I always look at the any decks that come out that are exciting, you know, based on kind of a three-point rubric. You know, how does this interact against, like, Azorius Control, right? right. Azorius Control's big cards are like Teferi, Narset. Narset to the point that Jace is like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know about put two cards back, don't draw any cards, you know? Um, and Burn, of course, right? You know, which I I, th I don't think Burn does that well uh, when other people are playing it on average, but it's a, it's a deck that can give you the pulse and speed of the format. Humans. I mean, this, this kind of a deck will often run humans over. Right before, right. What, I mean, what humans aether vial? All right, I got you. <laughs> got like ten power in play. Right. You're gonna certainly vial, and then it, it's kind of laughable. Their their defensive stuff is like a thalia. I don't need to cast any spells. Like, right. Were you gonna thalia my hogak? Okay. Yeah, I'll just remove one more card from my graveyard. Yeah, it's not I've a big deal. More. So, what you have at the end of the day is um, it's a deck that's just much faster. Uh, than most of the other decks in the format has the potential for an infinite combo kill. And even when you get your hate cards, turn two is too slow. 
Right. So, so rest in peace might not be the answer. It might be that you have to play Leyline in the Void. I don't even... So, I mean, if, it, if they do that stupid thing of, like, uh, you know, you see an opponent's deck list, you know? I really hope we're in the background of these people's engagement photo. I don't oh, think yeah. we will be, but we'd have to do a little photo. We might have to do a little bit of, like, a photo bomb to do it, but we're close. Maybe we should start making out so that there's, <laughs> there's two couples making out in uh, the photo. I thought we agreed not to do that ever again. That maybe that was your agreement with Dave Price. Oh. It certainly wasn't my agreement with Dave Price. <laughs> um, so, I mean, so what would you, what, what would you be, your R&D, yeah. your play design, you're a little bit embarrassed. I screwed up on this You're one. a little bit embarrassed this morning. Yeah. Uh, so, so, an interesting thing, just talking to you, because I spent the last two weekends talking about Modern, Mas- uh, Modern, Mas- Modern Horizons, with both Mike Majors and Gavin, uh, you know, on panels and on podcasts. So what's and stuff. up with all these deadlifting people at SCG? I don't know. People were deadlifting Gavin. Well, that was that was Olivia. I, I I talked to Ashlyn Rose yesterday. I said I saw someone deadlifting. It seems like she's yeah. like yeah, it was a great time. Yeah, show was great. She's awesome. Um, she lives in L.A. Maybe I don't she know. Came a long way. I only see people at shows, so I don't know. Um, I talked to her on the internet, so it, it doesn't matter. Where yeah. She is. Um, and, and you know, this was a this modern got play tested, right? Like, so do you think do you think that this deck is a deck people missed? Do you think they missed I mean, the addition? Yeah. Oh, clearly, okay. clearly, they don't or, do that as on purpose. Or, or do you think I'm guessing Mycosynth Lattice got missed? You oh, on Karn the uh, yeah, yeah. These are not healthy developments for the form. You, you don't think these are things that can be countermeasured by the metagame? It, you don't think you can make this deck so no. uncomfortable as to not be to be risky to play? No, I think that in modern, if you're at that point, you've already failed. In modern, you want the decks. The I, is my. But I'm saying they had four people playtesting this in, this card on this form again. In my opinion. This is my opinion. Yep. As someone, I mean, I play. I guess I play a lot of standard, but I, I would say modern up until the last two sets, which have been rocked modern, uh, has been my favorite format to play for four years running. Yeah. You want the best decks to be Death Shadow, Humans, Burn, decks that have a variety of game plans. Play to the board. A high incentive, good amounts of synergy, and really like. For coverage purposes, recognizability, but Reed is playing a game of Magic the Gathering. Sure. Okay? You don't want decks that Reed is playing a game of Tetris, right? Where, where the entirety of the deck is otherwise unplayable cards that happen to fit together when you win the lottery, <laughs> right? It's, just, it's different. Like, I don't think, I think Splinter Twin, right? Splinter Twin is so not offensive relative to some of this. Right. It's a recognizable combo. Right. And I've, you would play these cards anyway. Right. Someone's, like that's, that's, someone had a thing about they're like, obviously Stoneforge Mystic is too powerful for this modern metagame. You know? You're, yeah. you're like, I played my Stoneforge Mystic. I've fetched up a, a batter skull. Go. Oh, only 400 power up against it, right? So, so the thing is, I'm utterly serious about this, right? Splinter Twin is so not offensive. Sure. Right? Would you play Splinter Twin 
in this deck you certainly would. <laughs> but me, I found a lot of things to do with my Splinter Twins that were interesting, that would have made great coverage. Like when I Splinter Twinned, uh, uh, Wall of Omens. I, I've never done that, but it's been done, and that was exciting, right? I've Splinter Twinned a Pilgrim's Eye. Sure. I've Splinter Twinned, uh, I Splinter Twinned uh, the hell out of a Manic Vandal. That was a disaster for the Stoneforge Mystic player, by the way. <laughs> All right, so I Splinter Twinned the hell out of that. I've Splinter Twinned many Seagate Oracles. I've Splinter Twinned, uh, I'm Splinter Twinning Inferno Titaner. That's a good time. Yeah. I was, you had a lot of trigger out I've of that. I've done that in a cube. Okay, so. I, so I found other things to Splinter Twin. Okay, that's yeah. one. But you would play all the cards in the deck, right? Right. And they're like, oh, you cast a Preordain, you cast a Mana Leak. These are things people might want to cast, you know? Right. And your deck also has a high incentive because it can win on turn four, okay? Honestly, I think that's fine. And it it sharpens the edge on the capabilities of players, right? And saying, look, if they know that there's a looming threat, but they have time to prepare for that threat, then they can make an educated decision about how they play their third sure. turn, okay? If you're playing Tetris with otherwise unrecognizable and generally unplayable cards, it's not the same thing, right? You're like, you're, they're not even playing magic, right? Like, I cast a zeros, you know, an XX card for zero and then another XX card for zero for the purpose of hurling them into the graveyard because I get an undercosted hasted 4-3 is bare, I mean like, like if you did that in your fun group, your friends would make fun of you, and even if you beat them, they would, you know, they'd look at you askance. Right. So, right. do you agree with this? I do, I do. Are we in memory jar territory here? Or are we in like Splinter Twin category here? So they'll let the, you think it's, they'll it's, let the Mythic Championship play out, and then maybe make some adjustments after the Mythic Championship, or do you think we'll get an emergency, we think this deck, is too warping, we're gonna ban Briggs from below. I which doesn't you, even seem like it would be good enough on the board we just saw. I don't know what their objective is corporately at this point. I'll tell you that right now. I don't know what their objective is. If their objective is to create watchable magic for the purpose of Twitch streams, so, so that Paul and Marshall have something intelligent to talk about on the ground, this deck should be nowhere near the Mythic Championship. I'm absolutely serious right. about that. That's, I mean, as someone who's done a lot of coverage, right. it's a fucking joke. Right. Seriously. Like, oh, no. I mean, the, if the, your the, objective is to have watchable magic. Right. Your objective is to show as much magic as possible. You be want, away from the desk as often as possible. You want goblin guides. You want champion of the parish. You want planeswalkers. Right. You, I want Tibalt. So you. I want Teferi. So if you could mind control Aaron right now. Yeah. What would you do? I mean, I, you're right. I think banning Bridgemobile is probably not good enough. I don't know how many cards you have to ban out of this because, like, and it's so embarrassing because it's in the brand new set. <laughs> and the, here's the other thing: if you have a new set and you so emergency what, right, ban right, two cards out of the new set, you emergency ban Alter and Hogak, which I think is probably the right thing to do now that now that I'm talking about this out loud. Yeah. Do you refund? They just like got no. This is a set that's for modern play. I opened a Hogak. There hasn't been a sanctioned tournament with the set yet. Oh, look at my pack. I got an Altar of Dimension and a Foil Hogak. Yeah. Garbage. Well, you create uh, still a, good in Commander. Do you do create a redemption policy for this? Because it's... They did in the past, right? It's a fucking joke. The, the thing is, like, but you can't... Or, here's what I... I don't know. The next Modern Championship... Modern Championship uh, my, uh, uh, mythic Championship. Why can't they just call it a fucking purple? I don't know. Right? 
is modern. Yeah. You just switch it to block. <laughs> block constructed. Arena supports it. Let's go. Or you just change it to standard because you cannot possibly wow. have this on. So you would change you would change Barcelona to standard at this moment. I mean that's I, I mean I'm the not meta game will be. It's do you remember the pro tour that was just like all Eldrazi and Affinity and Burn was too slow. Do you remember sure. that one? Yeah. That is so favorite. They were at least playing magic, right? <laughs> like, so the thing is like, oh, okay, they printed a bunch of double lands. Oh, Eldrazi are cool. That we wanted to see Eldrazi be cool. Eldrazi remained cool. They had they had appearances in multiple successful decks after they banned the hell out of those out of those decks, right? But it, it's hard to argue that a yeah, top exactly. eight match where the first play is discard my hand so that I can dismember your five five on turn one is good watching for anyone. So That's not inspiring for the average player. So what you're saying to me is Chicken Little is not saying the sky is falling here. Chicken Little is actually dead under uh, I, I, a, a concrete roof. I don't know what the objective is, okay? These I don't the, care about the objective. These are the things I'd lay out. If the format is so fast that this is the deck you play, play this or the anti-deck, and I have diced that the anti-deck is not going to be good enough, same as it. the anti-affinity decks weren't really good enough, in general sure. speaking, right? Um, As someone who played a lot of anti-affinity decks, I understand. Okay. Yeah. If you're, if that's your, if that's your paradigm going into the pro tour, not only have you created an unwatchable viewing environment, right? The best players won't win. The luckiest players will win because there's sure. almost no decision making. The problem is, if the decision making is should I mulligan this hand or not because the hand isn't degenerate enough, you don't. Oh God! London Mulligan rule in this is but also. It doesn't even matter. This, these are actually matchups that require material. London Mulligan rewards degenerate draws that don't require material, right? If you just have a two-card combo, and you're like, if I get to my two-card combo and minimum resources to get to it, by my fundamental turn, this isn't that. You actually need bodies to throw to get I the bench. I don't necessarily need my third land though. Yeah, but the, this is not a deck that requires a ton of mana material. You need two. I need two. Okay, two is a lot when you also have cards like Faithless Looting, which is a minus sure. one, and every Vengevine slash random zero that you're tossing to the Vengevine is a, is, is a minus one, and Bridge from Below is a minus one. Right. It needs to be in the bin. It pays you back, but it only pays you back in right. material. But also, you don't mind taking a Bridge from Below out of your hand and putting it on the bottom of your library where it's going to get fetch landed back into your deck. I buy Correct. that, but it's but this deck is different. It's fast, but it requires a minimum amount of material. Sure, right? I agree. It's not one of these decks where it's like, all right, I have two. Okay, I've literally I have two land, uh, a Shuko and a Cephalid Illusionist. If you don't have a one mana removal spell or Force of Will on turn two, I'm going to win. Right. Right. This is not that situation. Okay. Like, right. You actually need stuff to pitch to get the other stuff. All right. So I. I so you think this is? You're basically you're telling me. It's bad. It's really bad. I, I don't, and you don't think that the metagame can adjust before Barcelona? I'm not sure what the right thing to do is for modern. What I'm saying is I don't know. Maybe this maybe this is unwatchable coverage. And Marshall and Paul and whoever else they have. I don't know who's replacing Riley. Uh, I, mean, I mean, I mean Simon. Uh, Cedric is on it. Uh, no, he's on. The, he's on. That's so. That's the Mythic Championship. In Vegas, that's in like a week or two. Oh, okay. That's standard and that's arena. This is the one in Barcelona in a few more weeks. Okay. So that's going to be modern. So 
whoever that staff is, they are going to have not a goddamn thing to say other than Stitcher supplier. <laughs> Who would have thought? Like, Sack it to carry and feed her. Like, oh, are they going to have debates about how many neonates you should have in your deck? <laughs> the answer's probably four. <laughs> oh, well, he made the maverick decision to play only three bridge from belows. Well, it turns out he's a new player and couldn't get the fourth. One, yeah, right? like, yeah, they were sold out on the site. Yeah, so, like, it, this is not... If you want people to play Magic the Gathering got a question for you on camera... This is not the, Better the question format. You can go back in time a week. Are you buying or selling Bridge from Below? A week ago? Yeah. I'm buying and I'm selling the hell out of them from the price I got a week ago. Right? Okay. But you, you don't you don't think that this will be you do you think there's a chance this will be an illegal card to include in your deck by the time we get to Barcelona? or after Barcelona. I think this, at a minimum, Bridge from Below will be made. Okay. And the reason I think that that is a minimum is because I do believe that Hogak and Alter are less likely to be banned because they're in a new set for modern how play big a that disaster, has not even been... How big a disaster is it to ban Alter? You gotta do what's best for the... And Carrion Feeder. You got it. By the way, Carrion Feeder also Speaking a new, of new to, but new to modern, right? Another card new to modern right, so. that has un un unleashed the stack. So. We've, we've talked about Alter, but like taking out Alter, they still have Carrion Feeder. So, but then they still already had um, Viscerasia, right? Well, I mean, Carrion Feeder makes power. Sure. And yeah. making power is better than scrying. Come on. I mean, in a deck that's trying to kill you real fast, yeah, I think so. So, um, anyway, yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the objective is, okay? They have, they could have many objectives that are arcane to me, and they might be going in the right direction. People who know more about free-to-play games and et cetera have assured me, have assured me that some of the decisions that they've made are in perfect alignment with rationality and I'm just like this seems like a bad idea to me um, but I come to it from a very different perspective I came up loving magic that does not exist anymore right sure. so I'm trying to love the magic that is now so I do want I do want to talk about that so yeah. I, I want to so sky is falling get your umbrellas modern is gonna is gonna take a big uh, Mike is Mike is saying that this is gonna be something you're gonna have to deal with in modern and he, if you, you want to play modern and you don't believe modern will be able to adjust in a healthy way to this I made an like argument if everyone's got four main deck Leyline of the Voids game one that's not a healthy place to be right in, so in 1996 there was it, like it always is people were arguing about land taxes and necropotences balances and him to Torox. I made the argument, look, I, we all, you know, there's all different decks you can play. I play this, you play this. I think that maybe the most equitable thing we should do is unban channel. You unban channel, you know, a lot of this stuff changes that are the current says. Un, unrestrict black vice, unban channel. The decks will fucking change, right? So what, what, what's, what's channel and black vice in this situation? Um, Deathrite Shaman? I don't think that's it. I mean, at least it interacts, actually. Yeah. Uh, 
what I was just saying is like not about an unbanned specifically for modern, but like embrace the violence is really the thing okay. that I was saying. Is just like instead of trying to fix the format, maybe this is like vintage, which is oh, just like a, just let it all be degen. Yeah, like a solitaire fist fight. I don't think people will continue to want to play modern if that's the case. Okay. I think that people really like the idea that they can play like a Grixis mid-range deck in modern or a Grixis deck shadow deck or a Jundath shadow deck or a Jund mid-range deck. And they, they like that those things are all theoretically viable. Wizards has shown that they are pretty willing to ban a card. Thank God. And uh, I would not be shocked if that, if that becomes necessary that they'll do that. I would guess nothing's going to change before the Mythic Championship. Really? Yeah. It is going to be unwatchable. I would guess nothing will change before the Mythic Championship, but we'll see. So, but I'll ask you a question before yeah. we can move on. Who is the audience? For Modern Horizons? For that, for the coverage of that Mythic Championship, who's the audience? I don't even know anymore. Honestly, I don't have an answer for you on because that. Because if the answer is Red Bull, you need watchable magic. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Like, you need an executive at Red Bull to understand there was mana, a creature uh, I, was cast, interaction with. I, look, I think Red Bull. No, 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 no. Red Red Bull. That Red Bull doesn't even know that there's a paper that you can play Magic on paper. They don't even know that that product exists. They're gonna look at. Okay. They're gonna look at the event in Vegas. That's all they care about you, is arena events. All right. They're not gonna pay a single bit of attention if, to the paper event. The paper event is for us. Yeah. If, if it's for us, I'm. I mean, congratulations, Newmont the Nummy. You're once again gonna have a higher viewership than <laughs> than the official stream. The the which is also a joke, right? The. But the, the thing that is bothersome to me is, what is the, are the Russo brothers the audience then? Because you need to ferry on camera if the Russo brothers are the it's audience. It's pretty clear from the cards released today that you need Chandra on camera. <laughs> okay, you need Gatewatch members on camera. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so to ferry, there are a handful of Lilianas that can make it on camera in that event. If you don't have a degenerate turn three deck where like the fail state is I have 40 power in a <laughs> oh, I screwed up only if only have this 88 oh, come on it's a joke like they missed it's okay they missed right they missed before they don't have to ruin their $250,000 production thing $250,000 for, for one production oh god yeah really oh yeah those are expensive man very expensive. I don't think you just even have, people no don't even have, people don't even have any, they didn't cut the budget, they've added budget all over the place. People don't understand how expensive internet is. I mean, but anyway, that's not I the mean, point. It's only because they're taking union buildings. Not always, very rarely. For pro tours, they take union buildings. Yeah, generally, but that's also the size of the buildings they need. I mean, um, that, this is not the Yeah, I'm this is getting saying, too like, inside baseball. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of money that's going to be wasted if you, if the, the whole point of is to make magic watchable. But don't we also, isn't part of magic the, what we love about magic, the insane fuck-ups that allow some deck to just do something utterly degenerate? Don't we always remember, remember the Eldrazi Pro Tour or Black Summer or like when everybody suddenly was, you know, casting Time Spiral? Like, I actually hate all of those. See, I remember them super fondly. I mean, I cast a time spiral. I didn't. I mean, I 
did well with those. There's some legendary stories like when I lost with the man with the palancron, stuff like that, you know. But I mean, when I ended up qualifying that season, it was with small black creatures, right? right? Paul, I, Paul Jordan won that states with mono red, right? Yeah, so in my opinion, look, I mean, I've played Magic nonstop since I picked it up in 1994. So um, here, here's, listeners, hold on, I'm gonna interrupt Mike here. This is how I know Mike is seriously alarmed about this deck, because Mike is usually not bereft of strong opinions, and he has this kind of like wet look in his eyes, like he's about to cry, and he is like absolutely resist, it might be hay fever, because we are outside, but he's absolutely resisting the urge to just say, you, you, you've like modified your uh, expectations of how bad this is going to be. And you've talked about the broadcast, but like how bad this is in terms of like, you, you've hemmed it hot a little bit, which makes me feel like this is actually even worse than... I really like playing modern. Yeah. One of the things I like playing modern is that I play what other people look and consider to be a simple deck. And I play it in a very intricate way that defies the expectations of both my opponents and the people who are watching me play. Like right. I, I get like a lot of crowd reaction feedback from when I play modern in tournaments, like from pro level players, like open winners just watching. Like I didn't even understand what you did. Is a thing that is a thing that I often get, and I have an outstanding win rate with the deck that I like to play in my unbelievable win rate. Right, um, doing weird stuff, and people I. I I've been writing for years. These are the cards you should play. People don't play the cards I say to play, and then they lose to the easiest matchups on earth. And then they just have all these unplayable cards in their side. Right. Generally speaking. But I really like to play modern, okay? But the reason that I like to play modern is you gotta take your lumps. There's match, like, I'm never gonna beat Dredge. Dredge came back right around my birthday, so I just didn't go to this big open that I was gonna, I was planning to go to. Like, Roman flew back out here because he wanted to play in the world. We're gonna go play together, and I'm like, I'm, literally not going to go to another state and do all the travel costs so I can go four and five on a day one and then come back on something. It's just not, it's not, it's just not worth it to me, right? right. Uh, and he's like, oh, but you did so well in the last couple of events. I'm like, I know the format didn't go to dredge at that point, right? But you just got to take your lumps. There's so many decks when certain decks are dominant, you're, you're not going to be able to win. But when you have some space to operate in, modern is an utterly rewarding format. If you understand your deck and you understand how the format goes, you can make modifications, you can figure out what you're supposed to do, and you can do surprising fun things while playing Magic. And I would consider playing Blue-Red Storm playing Magic. I would consider uh, some of these like intricate Gifts Ungiven based, you know, reanimation strategies playing Magic. I would consider, certainly consider humans playing Magic. I think humans is a, is an, is a wonderful implementation of where modern can go. The fact that there is both the robots type affinity deck that Matt Sperling likes to play, and the and the mono green affinity deck. This is with, the hardened scale yeah, version with all the GD forests in it is hilarious to me. That those are both viable decks, right? This is a wonderful format because it has a ton of interplay. Which cards you choose makes a huge amount of difference. And basically, people can specialize and still be successful because there's so much stuff going on around them. It's rare that you have a situation where, like, this format is so utterly suffocated by something. This would create a situation where if you're not playing Hogak, you're playing, like, Infect with four main deck Tormod's Crypts, and you might not be fast <laughs> enough. Right, turn zero might not be fast enough. 
Okay, so that I mean, and I don't know. Maybe that's a rewarding format to play in. It's terrible broadcast. Sure. Okay. Okay. If you want, and I want Magic to be successful, because I like playing it, not because like I have like right. a lot of Hasbro stock, right? Right. I want Magic to be successful because this is where I put a lot of my energy for the last 25 years, where I've made most of my key friendships right, right. the last 25 years. So they need to keep printing shit so I can play it. And it will not be successful, or at least it's going to take a bump, right? Modern is a wildly successful uh, kind of amateur level tournament for me. You, you go play at a big modern event on any random weekend, it's like nine rounds that people want to play modern. They want to play modern in a way they don't want to play standard. Um, they won't. It'll be much worse than the Stoneforge Mystic days. Yeah. But this is like, it doesn't look fun to me. Right. It looks, this is the kind of thing where like, if I had, if I figured out the Hogak deck and other people didn't figure it out yet, and I played it on the Pro Tour, but no one had talked about it, I'm a genius, right? Right. But if you have like a five week lead up and you know about the Hogak deck, you fix it before the Pro Tour happens or you're, all right, how, here's a different one. Do you remember when um, Guillaume Wafotapa made the black blue uh, Drown New control deck? Drown New at the Louvre. And didn't make top eight of that world, champ yeah. world championship, whatever. But then, and that deck never won any big real event, but all it did was utterly dominate Moto for like two months. <laughs> so if you looked at like all the Moto four ones are better, was all the Drown New at the Louvre deck. Can you imagine if that was the only deck anyone was playing on camera? That's not good viewing, okay? You need- It's better viewing than this. At least you get a lot of magic played. You need some Boros, right? Like, <laughs> like if there's not a red-white creature tapped in the red zone some of the time, you're not watching magic, right? Like, magic is about, sometimes there's just a fair, and I mean, this is magic in a different way, but it's not magic if it's the only thing you're playing. If, if the only thing anyone's playing, it's just weirdo Tetris. Right. right. There's no metagame. The metagame is we're all playing Weirdo Tetris. Okay. Right. We're all playing Solitaire Hogak. Like it's, <laughs> you know what will be the big innovation? How many Yixlid Jailers and I'm, I'm Hogak Yixlid Jailer. I'm Hogak with main deck rest in peace. I get myself, but I get you also. But I've optimized my deck to be able to cast some of my cards normally. <laughs> This, this deck that sounds you didn't spectacular. Think of that. This deck sounds spectacular. How fucking stupid is that? Like, I mean, it's just terrible. So I don't look. I don't want to be the sky's falling guy. Yeah. I'm saying fix this so you don't ruin the pro. Tour. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. It'll be, it'll be interesting. See if we see any news on that in the coming weeks. Um, I do want to take. I was going to actually ask you about the discretionary invites that ha were announced yesterday yeah. to Vegas. Which, but I don't think we have time for that. Oh, I, I want to talk about this you for do? a second. I don't understand why people have any problem with this stuff. We, there's been just, I mean, Chris Bakula and Dave Williams have been getting these for years. Right. Right? So who cares? Right. Well, I mean, I, I've never gotten one, which is like annoying to me. I feel like I should have earned one right. at some point over the years. I feel like I got one at the Invitational. You did, right? I mean, I got one to an Invitational. I mean, actually, I earned mine at the Invitational. Forget about that. But like, I got one to a Versus Pro Tour once. Oh, I did too, but I didn't use it. I covered it instead. <clears throat> so the thing is like, uh, I, it's, it's funny. People are coming, hey, did you used to write for metagame.com? I got one of those last week. I'm like, I did. And I went to metagame.com, it's not there anymore. No, it's not. It's so not. Um, anyway, yeah, it's fine. Um, I think that, I think that what 
high level magic is in terms of like professional level magic is in a zone that's still being defined. Yeah. Um, I think that there was an illusion of meritocracy that I have not bought into well, personally for 18 years. So, so the thing, well, here's the thing though. The, yeah. the Pro Tour, what we thought of as the Pro Tour, which is now the Tabletop Mythic Championship, yeah. they remain more or less the same. You can't get there through Grand Prix, but you still can win a, a qualifier. You can still earn it, earn an invite there. There's not awards. Like is there a Hall of Fame anymore? I, I can't say. Aren't you the Pro Tour Historian? I'm Pro Tour Historian Emeritus. So, uh, let me just... Uh, so there's not, the Hall of Fame still exists. So, what I would say is there's an idea that... Um, I don't think the, the formation... I don't think whatever the next step of the Magic the Gathering Hall of Fame, as it's called now, has been publicized yet. So, I think that there is an idea that the best players should be rewarded by some by some structure, right? Right. The Hall of Fame was one of those structures. Sure. Uh, some level of meritocracy for consistent, very good performance, if not consistent spike the big event performance, was rewarded by different layers of the Players Club, right? Right. Uh, and that those things, if not stripped away, are in an ambiguous zone right now, which means that... Um, players who have dedicated so it's actually a very small number of players who are impacted by this right but they their pain is intense because like imagine you're an incredibly bright person well, who's just spent the last 10 years doing nothing to play we, magic we talked about the dream of getting to the pro tour and i think a lot of people see their paths to the pro tour being shut down right they're they're constantly being rerouted to increasingly congested alternate routes to the pro tour and one of those routes is Hey, you should be streaming magic and be a really engaging personality and See, do but, all these other things. But the thing is, I think and, that, that's a false narrative. And you don't know how to get there. I think that's a false narrative. And I think that the cynical response to that narrative is because I don't, I realistically don't think a highly talented, engaging person who does not currently have an audience can start streaming and will have that result. Okay. Okay. And, I, and that is a cynical response and it is probably useful if not true. I, I, have to, I have a lot of empathy for people who feel like the, the path to the Pro Tour, we talked about how important it is for someone to get an opportunity to play on the Pro Tour even once in their life. Uh, it, is, uh, it is a lifelong dream for a lot of people that we know and have known. And, you know, I certainly value tremendously my handful of opportunities to play in the Pro, Pro Tour and will be forever grateful to team events existing. <laughs> that uh, smells like me. But uh, but I also I also just I have I have no problem with the discretionary invites. I assume, oh I don't either. I assume that they're going to also, you know, that this sixteen discretionary invites won't look like the next sixteen. But one discretionary of them is invites. LSV. Sure, but they're so, also but they're also and one of them is Kai, right? They've obviously have some way that they've divided these up in their head about like region, about uh, old school, about. Uh, diversity about uh, visibility so I would say this if you first of all I don't have any problem with it right. I'm just reacting from the standpoint <coughs> of the of the ire that I see on social media yeah yeah, okay? yeah so what I'd say is I haven't bought into this idea for 18 years right I I mean I think both of us have seen the zipper on this which is like the pro tour has never not been a marketing expense of course okay, right so if you want to have a marketing expense it's not ever, it's the design is not to be a pure meritocracy. Right. The again, design is to spread magic. But again, what we think of as the Pro Tour, 
which is the Tabletop Mythic Championships, hasn't changed really. Like, yes, there are, it is gonna be more difficult to qualify for them and stay on them. But the PTQ my way to get to a Pro Tour is still exactly the same. The Arena Mythic Championships are a different animal. They should not both be called Mythic Championships. They should be called two different things. And I think that that would solve a lot of the problems people have with it. So you're probably right. Maybe there's a messaging error. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I would say is uh, I think that Wizards is a wonderful company in that they take criticism really well. They process. I mean, they're really used to it. Ha ha ha! Yes. No, I mean, I mean, they 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 have to, right? Like they, there there's no winning for them, is what I'm saying. Is if they get criticized on one side, if you know, if if, if one side is not criticizing them, then they're 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 letting some the other side down. So, but they really do a great job processing some of this stuff, eating the criticism. And I think not in a vindictive way, like not really punishing the people who speak out. Sure. Like, oh, yeah. If you look at a player like Jerry Thompson, who's among the most vocal critics, they would they beg, borrow, and steal to do more stuff with Jerry. Sure. He's a great community member. Yeah. And there are other people in that same category, which is one of the reasons I think, like, if you're coming from the right place, that you shouldn't be in fear of criticizing Wizards. Right. right? I think that there are other people who criticize Wizards for clearly not right, either lying, misrepresenting stuff, um, and that that's a you know willfully misrepresenting stuff in, in order to in order to promote con- their own brand. Why well, not even that? Like conform stuff into a kind of a bullshit narrative that oh, sure. that jibes with a, a you know a despicable audience. Sure, Some, one, something like that. And I think that that's a very different it's a very different kind of an animal. At the same time. You look at Wizards as a company that you joke about this that they make a lot of mistakes, but do they really? A company. How many employees does Wizards of the Coast have? I have no idea. Thousands of employees. Probably. Okay. Well, I don't. I, I would be shocked if the headcount is that high, but certainly hundreds and hundreds. H- of hundreds and hundreds of employees, right? A lot of the decisions that are made by committee or by default, right? Like that's just the best path that they can take. When they were chopping, you know, they were chiseling stuff from forty different directions, and like every single decision they make, somebody's gonna get pissed. Right. Okay, so let's just talk about this Hogak Alter Bridge from Below thing we've been talking about earlier in this podcast. All right, the available options are do nothing, ban Bridge from Below, or ban two or more cards. I think that those are the three available options. Every one of those things is gonna draw criticism. Sure. And if you choose what I think you probably should do, which is to ban all three cards, now you have a pack redemption issue. Right. Right? Like, so, you're like, look, it's, I mean, somebody, somebody should have play designed this better, but they didn't. But you don't have to waste the Mythic Championship. That's the thing that I'm saying. Right. You do not have to waste it. And if this goes through and there's not some currently unforeseen thing that I I don't know about. People are just slamming Tormod scripts in their main decks. That screenshot is a perfect example. He was literally the bad guys. He literally had recipes in his main deck. He had it in his opening hand. He went second, so he got destroyed. Yeah. That is not the magic you want on camera 
for two straight, I'm sorry, three straight days right. at the Mythic right. Championship. Right. You will break Marshall's brain. Right. Okay? Yeah. And you will destroy any interest any viewers have. Okay. I think that's perfectly fair. Uh, switch topics for again for a second to proud parents section. Proud parents. I think we 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 so we played a role in the development of a young man's life. Gavin Verhey, probably our longest listener on Top Eight Magic, like right up there with Plubby, uh, Plubby, and Sealess, and Sealess, and, 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 and Alfred Bout, yeah. And, and and Gavin um, has been very public about talking about taking lessons from us and about what we did and how we talked about things and sort of carrying them forward. And so I, I was spent a lot Gavin of time with Gavin, the inventor of Flora's Rewards. Yeah. Um, I spent the weekend with him at SCG Con. And, you know, I just saw all these people that whose lives were affected by Gavin uh, and who came up to Gavin and were talking to him. And I was just, I was just like super proud of how he has turned out and to have that have us have any sort of small role and I and I don't take credit for more than a small role for us but like in terms of like inspiring him to move forward I just want to really take a moment to acknowledge what a what a tremendous influence he's become in the in the in this industry and uh while I was talking to him this weekend we ran into his friend Derek and what I didn't realize is he and Derek started a podcast I mean, I knew this, but like I didn't realize that it was this Derek yeah. called MTG Cast, and this was Gavin's first attempt at content creation, inspired by what we did. Yeah, wow. And uh, and so he and Derek were just like there talking, and I just I whipped out the the phone, yeah. the podcaster, and I just did a little mini interview with the two of them. Oh my gosh! Uh, about Top Eight Magic, about like where they were at right now, and how they formed their podcast, and what they did. So. Uh, if you ever wondered what happened to the MTG cast guys, at the end of this, we'll have a little like 10 or 12 minute bonus content with uh, Gavin and Derek um, just kind of talking with me, which was kind of cool. That's was, freaking awesome. Yeah, it was really it was really nice and just, you know, just uh, to see these people who sort of grew up with us. I'll send, cool. carried in, uh, I'll send carried in a link also, which is, I think it's Gavin's last article on Star City Games uh, when he left to go be at Wizards. Was this the your end game? Yeah. yeah. Did so he talk to you about that? Not only did he talk to me about it, but some guy came, we were sitting there playing commander and some guy came up to him yeah. and said, hey, I read your article. I was unhappy with my life. Yeah. I factored what you wrote in and like made a career change. I'm graduating from law school now. And I just wanted to thank you for writing that. Right? Just, and then like Gavin mentioned You're welcome, that on, lawyer. And then Gavin <laughs> mentioned that on... Twitter, and then like two other people were like, "Yes, this is how that article changed my life." It was really that's profound. fantastic. Yeah, it was yeah. really fantastic. I am G- Gavin is really the like uh, to me like the light for magic going forward. You know, he's he really is has turned out to be an incredible uh, person and an incredible steward of the game, both within Wizards and outside of Wizards. This makes me really happy. All this stuff you're saying. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, I guess we should just end on this note. Yeah. Uh, so subscribe to our podcast. We'll put the correct subscribe link, I hope, yeah. <laughs> so that you don't actually accidentally subscribe to the MTG cast version. Which is weird. <laughs> Which is still there, right? Yeah. So, um, are, the old, are the old podcasts there? Yeah. 
Even before we were like no, on? No, only from 2013. Oh, okay, okay. Um, but those are all on. They're all on Spotify. We have like, you know, maybe like three podcasts a year on Spotify. So, uh, but I guess the next time we meet for this podcast, we should have a definitive conversation about how today, in the summer of 2019, we are all Canadian. Okay. We are all okay. Canadian. Okay. And and how? Oh yeah, there's a lot to talk about. The North remembers, man. Yeah, yeah. I I can't believe we didn't talk about it this week. The North remembers. They kind of they kind of effed up a little bit down the stretch, but they, I don't know. Did they? This you know what's gonna be hilarious to me? What's it? This week I, we can't go down the rabbit. We'll talk for an hour. I know. This, right? I know. I'm dreading it. What if KD just has to take his 31 million dollars next year because no one will sign him? So you just take 31 million dollars from Golden State, right? He's already told people he won't take it. He, not if that, he has a ruptured Achilles I, I understand. He's he'll already, never come back. He's, he's never going to be the same player. He's told people that he is leaning towards not taking it. This is from Sports Stuff Today. Yeah. And multiple NBA GMs have said they would max contract him. I understand that multiple <laughs> NBA GMs get fleeced by people like Masai Ujiri, who finally is getting paid. I feel good for Masai. We'll, okay. we, we will talk about all of this but next week when it's... In the books. A 32-year-old player with a ruptured Achilles tendon? You're insane. I, I, I feel like I am the only Knicks fan in the universe who does not want them. People, I, I, I don't know how Stockholm Syndrome my, my Knicks fans are. They're all like, I think we should do it. Matt Ferrando is like, I don't know. I think it's a good idea. Basketball is a game. First of all, he has it's, a history of foot injuries. I, no, no, I'm... I'm, I'm with you. First of all, but, don't get me wrong. He destroyed my team for two years but, in a row, but that player did not have no legs. If the North remembers, it'll still remember a week from now. We'll talk right. about it then. It's been Brian David Marshall, Michael J. Flores for Top 8 Magic. Stay tuned for a little bit of bonus content coming up right after this. Uh, hey, everybody. Brian David Marshall here. We're doing an impromptu Top 8 Magic podcast. Okay. And uh, this is going to be kind of awesome because we're here with Gavin Verhey. And Derek, I don't know your last name. Uh, my last name is Knabenbauer, but I'm recently hesitant to say it out loud. And I'll tell you <laughs> why later. <laughs> uh, and uh, Gavin and Derek are some of the uh, original Top 8 Magic listeners. Yeah. And uh, we're just talking about starting their own podcast in uh, the what fashion of the, the Top 8 podcast. It would have been 2005 or so. Yeah, when I was 15 years old, right? And I found some strange old man on the internet, yeah. and I was like, and, and how about we do a podcast? was this precocious young kid who was like, I want to design for magic. And I was like, okay. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then he did. <laughs> Remember, we made like a fan set together on uh, our podcast. Yes. Like oh the whole gosh. shebang. And, you know, it's funny that springboarded us both into, now you do stuff with Twitch, right? So you kind yeah, of, I think he's a Twitch uh, video producer. I work for a YouTube channel called The Super Carlin Brothers. Uh, it's cool. like two million subscribers. Uh, they're here in Roanoke, of all places, which is how I got here. Oh, wow. And it's just this huge serendipity. Uh, yeah. but, but the world is such a small place, right? So I'm in SCG Con six months ago, and I, because, you know, to, to appease the gods of Pete Hoffling, I'm like, <laughs> tag myself as going in the SCG event. And then Derek, who's moved to Roanoke since then, is like, what? I got Gavin's like some, coming to an event yeah, near you. I got like some notification on Facebook. Which I never See, even really checked. Sometimes check. it's not evil. I, ne- <laughs> <laughs> I never check it ever, and I'm just like, Gavin Barry's near. I'm sorry, Gavin. What are you doing right now? And uh, he's like, Yeah, I'm in Roanoke. I'm like, I live here now. 
So, uh, so the last SCG Con was the snowpocalypse. Yeah. Right? Oh, so, yeah. so Sunday, the whole event was canceled. Like literally the convention center was shut down. The city was in shambles. You could not leave. No flights took off, whatever. And Derek just like gets, he's like, whatever, I'm from Virginia. Gets in his car, drives out to the hotel, and the hotel's just hungry for Magic players, right? Because we're, we're all there. It's a million Magic players staying there for SCG Con. And we've all like played enough Commander games to like make our eyes bleed. We have nothing else to do. And he comes in trudging through the snow, holding this cube under his oh, arm, oh like like the saber. So it's like me, like, Mike. Like a giant St. Bernard <laughs> yeah. with a cube around it. its neck. <laughs> and so it's like me, Derek, Mike Turian, Kenji Igashira, like all these people who are just trapped in this hotel, drafting his cube like someone had brought us water in the desert or something like that. That's pretty fun. That's and pretty amazing. It was awesome. It was absolutely amazing. And you like and bailed, it, we helped bail your car out yeah, later. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm from Wisconsin, like, right? So I was just like, whatever, this whatever. is just, it's just Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, that was amazing. It was the first uh, like IRL magic game we'd ever played. Yeah, right. Which is incredible. I smashed you. Uh, you did. You were, actually, what's really funny is that you were like, you know, if we're not playing like that much lately, your, your game's pretty, still pretty sharp. And then I immediately fell for an onboard trick. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, well. The, the best way to make anyone feel confident about themselves is to tell them that they're doing great, and then they'll immediately make an <laughs> and error. Immediately make an error. Yeah. And, I, I uh, just I just fell for a lot of onboard tricks. Yeah. We did a game show, oh. and I I did very badly. Yeah. I mean, but who? Come on. The, the question, the thousand dollar question you got wrong was was hard. That was really really was, hard. I thought I was. I really did think I was correct on that. That so, wasn't a guess. All right. So, top eight magic listeners. Here's the question: Which digital Japanese only game or uh, system was Magic the Gathering developed for? Yeah, I, like I missed I miss, I miss the system part. That's, that's where I screwed up a little bit. Yeah, do you know the answer to this one? Not even the slightest. See, I thought uh, there was a game called Armageddon that was made for Japan that I think you would put cards in and you like you could play it in an arcade. If I remember correctly, and I'm, I believe it was the Armageddon game. There might have been, I might be confusing it with a different like sure. small release wizards stand-up arcade machine, but there definitely was one. And that's just where my brain went. I was really excited because I got to yell at Armageddon, and then I was just wrong. It was the Dreamcast. Yeah, the Dreamcast. Dreamcast. Which, yeah. which, after it came up, I was like, I remember hearing something about Same. this a million sure. years ago, but, of course, nothing ever came out of it. Oh, right? yeah, he, he, it was, it was, uh, there was the, the second round was, was pretty tough. Lots of uh, flavor text and artist sure. names. And, yeah, we, I didn't do too well. Yeah, I didn't do too well. good stuff. Did you, you know, know that saying, like, you know, people are like, I've forgotten more magic. Yeah. I proved it. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely knew this at one point. I don't know, but... Uh, All right, do you know yeah. which magic set is the only set without any creatures flying? Can you name it? Wow! You get a thousand points, if, a thousand non-dollar points. Without any creatures with flying? If you're right. Without the keyword flying. Dang. Without yeah. the keyword flying? Yeah. Portal? Does it not have the keyword? Does it still have the keyword? Okay, can you be more specific? Oh, jeez. Portal Three Kingdoms. Oh, there oh, you go. You know, you a thousand, a thousand, a thousand points. points. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because it was horsemanship. Because right, right, right. So yeah. I, was trying to think, I was trying to think of why. Like, there's... Yeah, I couldn't remember. Yeah. I just, I don't think of that as a set. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, I was, before I came up with the answer, which was correct, I like almost wrote down, like, from the vault, uh, Relics or something <laughs> like that. Like, it's, it's, something. It's a set. It was made. Oh, it, might be a it might be a real answer, right? Yeah, right. Maybe. Yeah. Like I don't know. Look, all I'm saying when I go to go to work, we call that a set. Like, <laughs> they, I believe I have the wherewithal to say these kind of things here. Or my best answer, which is, yeah. Don't you know the false set later this year, guys? Yeah. No, no flying. <laughs> like, oh, true. I, I, so they, you could have been I like, promise. you could have been like Magic 2020. And then, like, what are they going to do? Yeah, right. <laughs> no cards have been previewed yet? <laughs> it's printed. We're done here. Let, let's move on with our lives. That would have been great. Yeah. I wish you had done that. If I didn't know the answer, I would have told you it's something cheeky like that. So, 
So, so we, we've, we've been talking a lot this weekend. Gavin and I have done a, a couple of panels and we had a couple of discussions. We've been, we been talking a lot about sort of the magic community and like how magic uh, has this like transformative effect on your sort of relationships oh, yeah. and kind of cascades into the next stage of your career. How, so you, you were talking about being at Twitch. How, how, do, how do you get from doing a podcast to uh, now working at Twitch and doing all this cool stuff? I, I just uh, stream occasionally, but uh, it's really interesting. One of the things that I do credit Magic for a lot as like an adult now, because I've been playing since revised, uh, is like my vocabulary. <laughs> like, well, no, because no, I, I remember true. like playing Scrabble and being like, I'm pretty sure bleb is a word. And like, I got called on it and bleb, because unblinking bleb, some obscure card. Yeah, good old future site more. Yeah, exactly, yeah. right? And uh, so something like that, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, but from going from uh, podcasting to what I do now, that's just a natural progression of uh, content creation. It started with audio. Audio led me to doing a lot of voiceover work. I went to school for theater, which led to uh, eventually doing audio editing and then video editing and then video editing to, to uh, what I do now. We say it's a natural progression, but really, if you think about like getting from point A to point B there, well, yeah, yeah, like, right. the person back what? home, <laughs> that, that, that's not a natural progression. That's, that's like, right. How did that's you do fair. it? You got a dream job of working on video, uh, right? Like, I, I, uh, Networking, probably. Like, I just got really good at talking to people on the internet, which everybody that does magic probably does. I mean, ma magic, that's like the big skill, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you're starting to do that networking when you and Gavin connect yeah. to make the podcast. And what, what do you guys remember about doing the podcast the most? Like, what, what's your, like, favorite memory from, from doing that podcast? Um, um, oh, man, for me, it was just every week go, getting online. And one of the guys we did the podcast with was British, right? So he, we'd have to get on at, like, 9 p.m. my time, midnight your time, 7 a.m. his time. We would all just be like out of our sorts in whatever way, which is maybe the best way to talk about magic, <laughs> right? Like we're all a little drunk on lack of sleep or, or whatever. And uh, yeah, I was just, just talk about some nonsense. I remember there's one episode I did it in an entirely British accent because I just like felt I like I felt like playing with, uh, <laughs> with the host and it was not the best idea in retrospect. <laughs> you, you may have blacked it out. Yeah, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Uh, my favorite's probably actually when you started working on uh, the uh, format. What, I kind of trying to remember what, like just oh, before you got oh, hired. Overextended, right? Overextended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was pushing it on right. the podcast. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, listeners, because like, so you know, if you don't know the story of how Modern got created, the really short version is before Modern, I made a format called Overextended, where I was kind of like pushing it on Star City Games and our podcast and a bunch of other places. All the stuff in this room right now, basically, right? Podcast and Star yeah. City Games, <laughs> and um, people people picked it up. Like stores around the world started playing it or whatever. Um, we, you know, and then Modern Wizards kind of helped. Uh, showed that there was excitement for modern out of that, and that made a really big difference. And yeah, it was on the podcast yeah, that I yeah. brought it up. And I remember you guys were all like, "Dude, you're crazy!" And I was like, "Well, I'm just gonna go." It was go fun. It was a fun format. I played yeah. and some of the uh, model events. Yeah, I, I remember that. That was super cool. Yeah, it was invasion forward. So pretty close to what modern is now. Yeah. But right. you get you know you get a few psychotogs or whatever in there. Uh, is this, and then this is the secret of modern horizons because now he gets to get some of yeah, those right? cards right. I'm like, before. I'm like, what? In. Like Factor Fiction is a big one. I've wanted Factor Fiction <laughs> Modern for oh, so long. Okay. No, we, we tried Factor Fiction in Dominaria. We really wanted to make it happen, oh, right? Man. But it was just too much for standard. Sure. Um, sure. But Modern Horizons, we had another chance at it. I, I love Did you Have you played this weekend? Did you get a I chance to not, play no, any Modern I've, I've had other commitments. I've just now gotten here. I'm probably okay. going to play tomorrow. Okay. Uh, I've got all my sets pre-ordered. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah the the set is so much fun to play with. Like, And also just look at your board and have like 10 keyword mechanics or whatever across your creatures and like a cascade retrace card in your graveyard it's and like amazing. all this nonsense happening. It, it's just like, I love Time Spiral. It's my favorite block of all time. So the set totally speaks to me. That's the same in all 
in like just every sense of what you just said. I'm so excited for it. I'm excited because I also like cube draft so often, and this seems like pretty close to it because you have all the exactly what you said, all yeah. these different mechanics that you just aren't uh, have never interacted within their own environments. Right. I, I I've been really just impressed with changelings in this. Oh set. yeah. And just how like they work with you know ninjas. I'm pretty sure and, they're just ninjas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think they're just slivers. Oh, fine. Fair, I've fair, outlasted fair. already a couple Guys, of changelings. I'm pretty sure they're all cats, <laughs> according, to, according to my 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 line king card or whatever right. that I have. The, what's that guy called? The two one that gives all your li yeah, cats like, plus two plus one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The king of the pride. Okay, yeah, there, there it is. The, which dies the scar, which I find incredibly endearing. <laughs> Oh man, goals! <laughs> yeah, we, we we thought of everything. Stampeding wildebeest dies to that. Like just everything, it'll it'll perish too. What what's your cube like? What what do you? Uh... Oh, it's just a power cube. Um, yeah. Just... I, I well, I mean, like that's like the standard cube, though, right? Like it's not any kind of uh, particular thing where some people have different themes going on in their cube. So let me ask you an important question. Cube. This is this is like my question when I'm judging someone's cube. Okay. Okay, and it's a simple two-card combo, and if it's there or not, can kind of affects my willingness. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. Do you have Entomb Reanimate in the deck? Yes. Uh, uh. <laughs> it's a little too, see, I think that's too easy. I think there's enough, like, you just shouldn't be able to Entomb. You should have to work to get your cards into your graveyard. That's how I feel. That's fair, that's fair. I mean, it's a little two-card combo. There's plenty of other two-card combos that are just super broken. Yeah. Uh, yeah. None that cost three mana altogether, necessarily, but. Yeah. I'm into my thing is Entomb, but not for like all the cards people like to Entomb for. I'm like, turn one, Entomb Life from Alone. Let's do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, now no, we're no, talking. That, that would be fine. It's just like when someone's just like, turn one, Entomb, right. you know, and untap, reanimate, you know, put something just stupid into play, and you're just like, okay. I remember one time I was cube drafting, and I like, my deck is not, it's not the best deck ever, but I have one reanimate target in my deck, and it's in my hand. So I'm like, end step into him, deep analysis into my graveyard. <laughs> gotcha. Untap, flashback, deep analysis, discard my fatty. All right, well, we, we got there. It was that a little thing. convoluted, but, you know, made it made it happen. So That's fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Derek, thanks so much. Yeah, absolutely. For taking it. This will be going up in this week's episode when I get back to New York. We'll yeah, do a little sure, sure. introduction. You'll, you'll, you'll send me your name spelling or something, yeah, yeah, or I'll yeah, get yeah. it from Gavin. <laughs> um, great to meet you. Yeah, nice meeting you, man. Yeah. Pleasure as always, BDM. Oh, oh, thank you.